Welcome viewers to yet another episode of Connecting the Dots. I'm your host, Navi Jaswal at the Javenity uh, Program and the Versa Foundation. Um, we connect the dots between public health and planetary health and everything in between. We have an amazing guest for you today and we'll introduce uh, him to you in just a minute. Welcome, Kuntal. Uh, you know, you've summited Mount Everest not once, but twice. And there's a big story behind that and, and behind your transformation and how you got, uh, you know, went vegan. Tell us, uh, uh, you know, about your story and welcome to the episode of Connected with Us. Thank you so much, Nivi. Really, really appreciate the kind introduction and uh, happy to be here and happy to be sharing my story with your viewers. Thank you. So, so tell us, tell us your story. How did you go vegan? Right. So kind of going to backtrack a lot, like maybe a couple of decades ago when, uh, I went to the United States, but I'm going to backtrack a little bit more. Uh, I grew up in a vegetarian family and I remember going to parties or birthday parties of my friends and everyone. And there always used to be things that were made from butter or that were made from eggs or that were made from animal products. And I knew that I, we don't eat meat. So I would always kind of refuse. No, I don't eat meat. I don't eat eggs. So if this is a cake with eggs or this is an ice cream with eggs, I'll, you know, try and avoid that. But then I remember going back home and asking my parents, what, why don't we eat these things? And I remember kind of my parents explaining to me, at least specifically my mother, giving like sharing me a story around a cow and her calf walking down the street and telling look how that mother with her child is just walking down the street and how they are just like us they feel pain they feel stress they are like they are sentient beings they are emotional beings and they have equal right to live as much as we do they have equal right to love as much as we do they have equal right to feel pain as much as we do. Everything, every emotion we feel, they feel. They are social animals. And hang on. I don't know what's happening with my camera, but. Um, so that entire thing kind of resonated with me at that point where, hey, look, uh, these are animals and they are like us. While they are not humans, but they are still sentient beings they are still you know individual characters and we can't be eating other uh, like you know sentient lives right if we if the whole concept was if i don't eat other humans or if i don't harm other humans why would i harm other beings that are just like us maybe they just don't look like us so that kind of was something where a lot of my compassion towards animals or that mindset started but I would say in some sense, it was still, okay, great. Yeah, yeah, this is amazing. You know, I'm like different than everyone and maybe I'm better than everyone. So in some sense, you know, I also kind of made myself feel like superior to everyone yes. uh, by just telling me the, myself the story. But I, probably towards the bigger animal rights cause, there was just a lot of apathy, to be very frank. I, I'm just going to be bluntly honest here. Yes, Until I went to the United States in 2001 to pursue my master's, and I was with a couple of roommates living an independent life for the first time and cooking my own food and 
uh, because I was doing an on-campus job, I was making money. So I was able to purchase things on my own. And that's where I kind of would eat out at a Burger King or would eat out at a McDonald's or just would, you know, go out to a grocery store and buy things. And that's where things like I started buying Snicker bars or I just started mm-hmm. buying ice creams because I got fascinated. I'd never eaten any of these things in my life. I went and bought myself a leather jacket, a leather belt, like all the fancy things without questioning how any of those things actually made it to the shelf of a grocery store or a clothes clothing store or anything. But one of my roommates who happened to be an ethical vegetarian, which by the way, now I feel an ethical vegetarianism is just paradox because how can you be ethical and be a vegetarian? You have to be a vegan. But nonetheless, he started questioning a lot of my choices especially around me wearing leather or me eating eggs maybe indirectly through a cake or indirectly through a pastry or or maybe an ice cream and mm. i initially was very defensive that why are you questioning me right and uh, his point was okay but hear me out and so finally i said okay tell me what's you know exactly going on And I think he said that instead of me telling you, let me show you what happens. And I think PETA, while, you know, a lot of people criticize PETA, I have always, you know, kind of supported them because I went vegan because of them, because of the videos that they shot, the undercover footage that, you know, they have always released. So he showed me a lot of what happens in the dairy industry, or he actually showed me what happens in the leather industry and the egg industry. Mm -hmm. I ended up connecting the dots and started researching about the dairy industry as well. And I quickly realized that every product that's coming out of all these industries is a product of abuse, exploitation, and slaughter. Like just let's take the case of dairy. I can't imagine any mother saying that, hey, you know, here's the milk that I need to feed my baby, but here's, you know, you take this milk to an adult human. Like I can understand a mother saying, okay, you know, here's another mother who can't breastfeed because she has a problem. Okay, I can share my milk with you. I completely understand that. But a mother willingly telling that I'm going to give milk to everyone, I I can't, you know, fathom that. Or a mother telling that, okay, I'm fine with someone artificially impregnating me so that I can, you know, produce a baby and not even be able to give the milk to that baby. Rather that baby, you know, being snatched away from me and so that I can produce milk so that, you know, you guys can drink milk. Almost like treating a sentient animal as a milk producing machine, to be very frank. That's pretty much what a cow is at the end of the day. Just, you know, again, to be very, very honest. That's the connection I made. And then the case of leather came. I'm like, who the heck on the planet would tell, you know, kill me, take away my skin convert that skin into a purse or a jacket and, you know, use it. I don't think any animal would willingly do that or voluntarily do that. Or similarly with the egg industry where millions and millions of male chicks are grinded live and just the amount of cruelty in the entire industry overall. It was just like such a shock to me, like thinking that I'm a compassionate person but really never going deep down and understanding what was going on in these industries. And I think it was at that point, I had to make a stand. I had to take a call and the call could have been either way, right? I could have just said, apathy is great. Ignorance is bliss. Let's just continue my life. It is 
that's the easy way out right it could just have been very very easy and i could have lived my life very easily or the second choice was that i actually took a stand and i did something about it and i think probably it was for the first time in my life that i took a stand for something mm-hmm. as i said till then i was i truly believe the first 20 years of my life were filled with apathy and i'm that is one of the biggest regrets of my life that why did i spend so much time being apathy filled with apathy about so many issues that are plaguing our planet and i took a stand for the animals i did research and i quickly realized that there are two things that are completely as a privileged person control hmm. what goes in my mouth in terms of the food that i consume and what goes on my body maybe cosmetics maybe the soap maybe the shampoo maybe the toothpaste maybe the clothing that i'm wearing these two things 100% under my control as someone who makes money as someone who's living in the united states sure i can definitely make a change around that and i realized that there is a movement called veganism and there are lots and lots like back then probably there were hundreds of thousands of people across the world who were vegan not many but uh, there were and living in los angeles i quickly realized i had three vegan restaurants exactly within a mile radius of where i was living yeah i had a big community which i had access to i went vegan and that's the stand i took and that stand i took because i i had to resolve that ethical dilemma that i was in mm. that that reconciliation that i had to do between my compassionate thought but my actions not matching my thoughts so that reconciliation had to happen and that is a choice i made i decided that i'm going to go vegan that i'm going to do something about this and i have to tell you that it has to be the best decision i have ever made in my life and i'm pretty sure you have heard, i'm pretty sure you have heard this many many times until now from mostly you know uh, all the vegans and while cha- eating a broccoli didn't change my life or anything i do have to tell you that that stand that i took for something or an issue had ripple effect across my entire life because it forced me to look into my thought process especially around anything to do with maybe let's say sexism or racism or casteism or even something like a issue like homophobia which potentially i did not have stands around but in certain things i actually had very regressive mindset around uh, these things like i was homophobic and i have written about this quite a bit in past or i was sexist maybe i didn't realize what i was uh mm-hmm. and while i have been brought up by very very progressive and strong women sometimes when you are growing up in a conservative society in a very patriarchal driven society these are things that creep into you without you even knowing about them and that's the kind of person i was and when i looked inside and i kind of saw all these thoughts and i saw all these things i said look i am i'm i've connected the dots about oppression around another species but i'm not connecting the dots around oppression inside my species itself yeah and that led me on this introspective journey where luckily i was or fortunately i was able to kind of let go of a lot of this toxic thinking and today i i am glad i am in a good space and i'm glad that i call myself an ally to a lot of these movements uh and i'm happy i'm mentally very very at peace and yes veganism gave me a lot of things but i think that good sleep in the night with a clear conscience or at least a work in the progress conscience i think that legitimately helped me so 
that is how veganism changed my life and yes probably eating food also you know sometimes people don't like pay a lot of attention to what you eat and that can definitely have a lot of impact on your physical body and eventually your mind is in the physical body so if you take care of your physical body probably it will have a great impact on your mind sometimes people are always like after the mind trying to you know work the physical body i think the other way around also works at least that's what i feel so I, both ways works it, you know my our bodies work in don't work in silos that mind is separate and body is separate doesn't work that way it's an individual unit and the whole unit works together so i kind of feel in that sense uh, really really veganism was a turning point of my life uh, and um, i'm i'm just glad that i had friends who pointed these things out and put me on this path and put me on this journey and then so many mentors and well wishers and and co vegans and everyone who have been along this you know 20 year journey where they have inspired me and learned so much from them and continue learning from them right. and i thought like 20 years i know everything about veganism and there's this friend emilia who just recently wrote a book called think like a vegan mm-hmm. and when i read the book i was like wow this is amazing i didn't even think about these things i didn't even made these connections and so yeah i i think it has been a great you know 20 year journey and sorry i you know like went on like on and on so but this is my vegan story well this is uh, this is your interview right so um you know it's it's all about your story and it's all about the insights and um you know what you mentioned was that the seed of compassion was sown in your heart by your mother at a tender age and the the nutritional approach that you grew up with was vegetarianism and it wasn't like it didn't even include eggs and uh when you moved to a different country um and you were on your own for the first time and you were earning a bit so you were responsible for what you purchased and cooked and and so on and and a couple of souls crossed your path and and they brought and presented you with this ethical dilemma and and that little window then became a big wide door and then you entered through it and then it ended up opening so many other doors of speciesism you know structural inequality racism sexism in our own um societal conditioning that you mentioned that tends to seep in but you also mentioned that there's that you took a stand you know and and that stand was the one it wasn't necessarily oh i'm going to switch to this diet or you know not going to wear this and and that those are the actions but the sustainability of those actions and of those behaviors for a longer period of time um is assured if something in your own mindset at the core of your value system changes and it sounds as though in that moment you it was an epiphany that completely changed that value you know of taking a stand and and saying i am not going to be uh, apathetic you know uh, you said about apathy talk to me a little bit about apathy you know before we sort of jump into what you did with your you know vegan ideals which is a big story and um, you know our viewers are dying to know but i wanted to spend some time around why do you think we're apathetic and and you know a, a lot of the times 
what um, I wonder, and you know, being a South Asian like yourself, I wonder as well that you know you grow up in India or you grow up in the South Asian culture, words like ahimsa, words like compassion, words like karuna, they're thrown at us at random, you know? And one would assume that if we're surrounded and soaked and growing up in that milieu, that you would have more empathy, that you would have more sympathy, that you would have eyes wider open than some others, you know, and, and you referred to it, uh, you know, as a smug vegetarianism, almost this feeling of superiority that at least we don't eat meat, you know. But why the apathy and why do you think that compassion is missing from a culture that gave ahimsa to the world? Oh, pretty, pretty tricky question to answer. I can, you know, say for myself, probably why I was uh, filled with apathy. Um, but I would kind of say that, yes, my mother explained to me the concept of you know, cow being a creature like us or a sentient being like us. And my mother also had not made the connection of how deep ingrained the cruelty piece is across the board everywhere. So even my mother today is not a vegan. In spite of her knowing that I am a vegan, why I am a vegan and for what reasons I am a vegan. And yet I have this massive family. None of them are vegans. So many of them, they know, I talk to them all the time. They hear, they read my posts, they, they listen to everything I say, yet none of them are vegan. So I look back at myself and when I was, you know, back 20 years ago, I, I was probably, you know, just that way. And I was being, you know, thrown at all these words about Ahimsa and, and about Karuna. Karuna. As, I do think that the, the discussion around, especially around Jeevdaya and Karuna, mm you know, or concepts like empathy and concepts like compassion, I think they are thrown at us, but they are never really seriously taught or really described to us. Like what empathy means. Like, I think I only discovered true empathy when I actually connected the dots around veganism. So it was such shock to me that for 20 years of my life, I didn't feel empathy for anything else around happening around me. Mm. That's like 20 years of life without empathy. I, Maybe I had some empathy. I'm not going to say I didn't have any empathy. But just these, you know, very basic emotions. I just don't think there were, I don't remember any discussions around these emotions or these concepts in my household. Yeah, okay, we don't eat meat because this, this, this. But what's the, the central tenet? What's going on exactly? Like, you know, things like where today I feel, okay, why am I a vegan? Like, if I put myself in place of a cow, and let's say the cow is being impregnated. If someone impregnates me artificially, would I want that to happen on me? No, I would never want that to happen on me. Would I want that to happen on any of my family members, like my wife or my mother? No, I would not want that to happen on any of them. And that is empathy. That is connecting with them. That is empathizing for them. And those things, I truly feel, uh, I just, that concept was just missing. Maybe... It was never taught in the schools. Maybe it was, was never discussed in the schools. Maybe it was never discussed in my friends' group. Maybe just the environment I you know, grew up in, we just never had these conversations. Mm -hmm. And I still don't see any of these conversations being had in any of the family get-togethers I go. 
most of the conversations are always centered around material possessions like hey, how much shares you bought oh which is the new real estate you have invested in or oh, what's the new car you have and somehow i now feel like an outcast in my family because i just do not none of those conversations resonate with me because i want to have conversations that have meaning that have a much deeper meaning that you know just satiate my mind or maybe at least help me grow as a human being let's keep the satiation of mind on the side but just at least helping me become a better person but i i just don't see those kind of conversations right now in my family or in my friends group or even my extended family or extended friends group and i kind of i'm not going to make a generalization but i'm going to make an assumption that probably that's the same case probably at a much larger scale in india unfortunately and maybe it's because we are now going from a developing country to a developed country so all this progress is where we are kind of moving away from these basic concepts of ahimsa empathy towards more materialism mindset mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know the answer but i am just you know kind of speaking from personal experience of my family itself and my friends group and i think that's how that is the environment i was brought up in but on the other hand my friends they were brought up in an environment where jainism was practiced at home and like serious jainism was practiced at home and they had a concept of karuna they had a concept of empathy which is why when they like questioned me i was a little shocked i'm like i never had such discussions with them and even though they were my friends for so many years i was just in this my little bubble in my you know this comfort zone that i was you know living my so much of my life in so i think it was also this kind of step of going outside my comfort zone being open minded being receptive to a different idea to be at least you know say that okay i'm going to look at this idea i'm going to look deeper into this idea and see whether I, it makes sense for me i think all those that i don't think it ever happened in the first 20 years of my life it was not until i was independent living alone and kind of getting exp- probably i think united states also had a lot to do with this because it's a country where there's so many nationalities living together with very very different varied mindsets and lots of things kind of being thrown at you you working in di- teams with you know maybe a chinese guy on the team and israeli guy on the team and then you know maybe a south african guy on the team maybe you know and a, a guy from you know an an african american on the team so you're just being like exposed to so many different ideas and so many different things and you are kind of at least for me it was a game changer or probably a life changer as i was able to take a step back and question a lot of things and make this jump or you know go on this journey so i don't know i don't know what the answer is but this has you know this is what my personal feeling is that we just don't have enough of such conversations at a school level at the university level at the college level at family level at friends level because so much of we are just you know running after progress but a lot of that progress is material progress rather than spiritual progress or rather than growing as a human kind of a progress and a lot of this progress happens only when people have made enough money and then they are kind of chasing what next so now i see you know a lot of people running after religious gurus or spiritual gurus and going on these journeys after so many years of their life so i think we need to start having these conversations a lot earlier
this needs to be part of who we are not like hey now i have made you know all this shit ton of money in my life now maybe you know i can go on this spiritual journey why not just go on a spiritual journey all the time or why yeah. not you know make the connection all the time yeah it's it's that concept of tirth yatra you know that you hear in in the south asian culture where once you've done everything you know you've raised your kids and you've retired and you have all the material possessions that you know you can afford that you eventually start on on a pilgrimage but i i guess that the pilgrimage is more towards your inner self and understanding your you know inner world and daring to ask certain questions and delve into certain concepts uh and not wait until you you're 30 or 50 or 40 or whatever the age might be um you know it, it's a it's a tricky question it's a very complex question that i posed to you and you know um we're not going to resolve this today um but th- there are a couple of uh nuggets you know that i picked up from what you were talking about number 1 values if they're in any culture whether it's the south asian culture latin american culture or you know the western um caucasian christian norms and and those that that culture um when values are just thrown as givens and as tenets you know something that you should not question and there's like a should uh qualifying that um then those then those values or those dictates become more of rules that and and then the inner human tendency is to rebel like, and the minute you have freedom i i i've grown up with a lot of you know uh, south asian friends who wouldn't eat certain things at home but they would take the liberty of eating or imbibing you know of certain beverages outside of the home and then trying to lead those separate lives which is where the the seeds of hypocrisy are often sown and once you you know push the limit and you say well if i can get by with that and get away with that and then you know tomorrow it will turn into something else right um so so you emphasized upon the need to describe those values and to have those conversations in the family early on with children so i think that's a that's a big message you know that you're leaving with parents and especially young parents parents of you know school going children to ensure that they're having those conversations and you know while there's a place under the sun for the material conversations and to understand financial literacy and you know the art of saving and investing and so on and i think that our culture specifically does really well at that you know um but when it comes to having those spiritual conversations or conceptual discussions uh they can really lead to those watershed moments the way you've recounted your conversation with your mom or later on the conversation with the ethical vegetarian friend who you had in the states the second point that you mentioned was progress you know and and i feel that sometimes our definition of progress is western informed and so we're chasing a dream that wasn't even ours to begin with but just that we have in this world d- dominated predominantly you know by western thought western institutions western benchmarks western understanding of what health and what nutrition what should be on your plate and what should be in your bank balance and what should be on your resume and and when you're informed by somebody else's thought you often don't recognize um what your 
what's in your own backyard, yeah. you know? And, and so sort of taking this conversation forward, you mentioned that you went vegan 20 years ago. There was this inflection point, um, but your family, and there are some extended family members who yet haven't embraced this path. What are the challenges that you experience as a vegan and, and no less, you know, somebody who has achieved so much in, in, in sort of talking to people about your vegan ideals and having them even consider following this path or experimenting with this path? What, what have been your challenges? So when I started the journey and I connected the dots, I thought this changed my life and this will change everyone's life. It would be so cool if everyone is vegan, like the whole world is vegan. And that's the journey I embarked on that. I want to make everyone a vegan. And I was this activist who was out there all the time, trying to influence my co-workers, trying to influence my friends, trying to influence my family members. And I think because I was so forceful, like to give you an example, I remember a product launch party at my work and um, it was done in a restaurant which had like literally one salad which potentially could be veganized. There was nothing that was vegan. So we landed up in the restaurant and I did not order anything on purpose just so that everyone's eyes would be towards me. I would become the central piece, like the central, you know, focus of the conversation on the table. And that I became that because they started asking me, why are you not ordering anything? And I said, I'm a vegan. And then the question started, why vegan? And then I started going on, you know, my, this is animal cruelty and this and that. And I, I really wanted them all to see what veganism was about. But I realized over the initial portion of the journey that other than influencing them to probably go out and eat a vegan meal here or there once in a while, beyond that, I really was not able to make any, any change whatsoever. And um, that was like devastating for me. Like I went through a phase where I also became very negative, like why is no one changing? And I, and I was struggling with that whole concept that I can see this, but why is everyone not connecting the dots? And I went through a lot of internal churning during this time. Um, and I, as I said, I was very negative, but I was also very, very, like in general, my attitude was not great. So I think at some point I just stopped I don't know why, I don't know what was the changing point, but I just kind of stopped telling everyone that go vegan, go vegan. And I just started kind of doing my own thing. Yeah. It was also during this time that I discovered mountaineering and I went on the journey, I climbed Everest and I started doing these crazy things. And I started sharing with the world that I'm doing all these things. What suddenly started happening is into the first two, three years, as I started doing all these climbs and everything on a vegan lifestyle, I started and look, I am very, very vocal about what I do on my social media. I can write about whatever I want. It is my social media at the end of the day. And I'm not telling anyone what they need to do. I'm just sharing my story of what I did. So it was slightly different than me telling everyone go vegan. I just started sharing what I was doing. What started happening is, is that a lot of people started reaching out to me and asking, Hey, Kuntal, how are you doing all these things? What are you eating? How are you training? And that kind of just turned around the whole conversation. 
instead of me telling them go vegan they were asking me what do we need to eat or what do we need to do and when they question or when they ask for help and you kind of offer help i think it's just a different conversation altogether while it's still the same conversation while i'm still telling them go vegan but it's just they have initiated the conversation and i started realizing that now a lot of people are going vegan not my family members not my friends but these are just random people across the world connected to me on social media getting inspired by my journey and trying to figure out how they can also run their own unique journeys or own individual journeys and that's where i found my niche as an activist or that's where i find my space as an activist is that i'm not going to be out there on the face with a placard saying go vegan no that's not who i am but i'm going to go climb all the mountains all the difficult mountains in the world whatever i can find with a you know a vegan board i'm going to put it on the top i'm not going to still say go vegan but i'm just going to let them ask the question and that allows me to you know kind of guide them slow and steadily towards hey you can go vegan and like for example today i'm a nutrition and a fitness coach a lot of people write to me asking hey kuntal will you coach a non vegan and i had a lot of debate before kind of announcing to the world that i'm a nutrition and a fitness coach and that i'm a vegan coach so initially my mindset was that i'm never going to coach anyone who's a non vegan but then i realized that it's almost like preaching to the choir yeah. who am I, am i trying to just change vegans to you know better vegans they're already vegans animals are already out of the food system in their case sure i can always help vegans and that is something i will do that is you know like core of who i am i want to help vegans become stronger fitter better everything at you know what they do yeah but my end goal is to still take animals out of the food system how am i going to achieve that if i don't coach non vegans so i coach non vegans but mm. when i have the first conversation with them my very first conversation with them is look you have to understand i am a vegan coach and i am not going to i am not going to be able to help you with any of the f- food items that you like if you are if animals on your on your are on your plate then i can't help you with those things a and b i would really appreciate that if you all are open minded to vegan choices as well right anyways most of the food items that most people eat is vegan it's like all fruits are vegan all vegetables are vegan all grains are vegan all nuts seeds are vegan so how like 70 80% of diets are mostly vegan already it's just that you know balance small portions where i kind of you know work with them slowly and collaboratively to expose them to those things because i know for a fact that once they switch or once they try those options they will see benefit or or if let's say someone is looking to build peak performance they already are at a good level and they want to up their performance i'm pretty sure they will be able to maintain the performance they will they will not see any regression i know that for a fact i'm talking in a very science back fashion and if they are smart enough they may even be able to achieve peak performance hundreds and thousands of athletes across the world are already doing that so that's also the kind of you know mindset that i have in terms of coaching but my my mindset as an activist i i will always be a vegan ac- activist that is not something that can change at heart i am a vegan activist and it is through my actions that i am going to do my activism rather than being out there in the face with placards and and there is a place for that as well i got turned into vegan seeing peta videos so 
I'm never going to say those videos are bad, or I'm never going to say that activist, you know, standing at a KFC with, you know, a placard is, you know, doing something wrong. No, whatever it takes to get animals out of the food system, everything works. We all need to, you know, work together towards this one cause. Uh, so this is how my activism is. And this, I faced a challenge earlier on where uh, I faced a lot of, you know, uh, where people were just simply not receptive to what I was saying. Mm -hmm. And then slowly I had this transition where I found how I am able to inspire them to choose vegan or at least to consider veganism. Yes. So though that was the biggest challenge. Yes, there were challenges around them feeding me non-vegan food or occasionally at vegan lunches or anything. I think those are trivial things. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, like when I would go to these lunches and they would feed me non-vegan things, I knew they were non-vegan things and I would yet eat it. And over a period of time, what happened is they saw that this guy is not trying to change us. It is we who are trying to change him constantly. Mm -hmm. He doesn't come to us and say, go vegan, go vegan, go vegan. He's just asking us to make vegan food for him. That's it. He's not asking us to eat vegan food. But yet we are someone who's putting vegetarian stuff into his vegan food and feeding him that by lying to him. And I, by not saying anything, made them feel that. I remember, you know, 2011, 2012, when I used to go on these lunches or dinners and people used to call me and say, Kuntal, how do we make vegan food for you? That was a drastic shift, you know, in, in the three, four years of my journey where I went from being in the phase, go vegan, to just, you know, kind of pulling back and doing my thing and just inspiring them. Hmm. So now they all know I'm a vegan. Now they know how to cook vegan food. Everyone knows everything. Sometimes, you know, they also like will take me out to a restaurant, which is a vegan restaurant and those kind of things. Slow and steady. I, everyone's on individual journeys, their own respective journeys. I hope they will make the connection. And I'm always there for them every moment. If they have a question, they can always reach out to me. They all know that. So that's kind of, you know, been my journey around raising veganism awareness or being a vegan activist and, and how I do my activism. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And you, you, packed a lot in there, you know, so for our viewers, you, you spoke about how when you connected the dots and you're like, wow, my eyes are open for the first time and I'm seeing this. And then you turn to everyone who you love and who hasn't yet seen the sunrise, you know, for the first time in their lives in all its glory. And you want to give that message to them and they resist. And uh, one of my dear friend and um, mentors, Victoria Moran, she calls it vegan dystopia. <laughs> she says that, you know, there's dystopic, you know, references and sceneries in Hollywood and Bollywood movies, you know, made about this is world after nuclear war and <laughs> nobody's left and there are like five humans and they're scavenging or whatever. But vegan dystopia is special because we feel like everybody's walking around eyes wide shut. <laughs> and we're the only ones trying to pull them in into this, uh, you know, direction of if you just do this, you can actually make this change and change your life and change your spiritual life and change your emotional world and also change the world, literally. And that over a period of time, you sort of pulled back a little bit and became more choiceful in how you brought this message to people and you use the words 
slowly, steadily, collaboratively. And, and that's your approach today as a coach. And, and your choice of target audience obviously are the non-vegans out there. You, you know, have a disclaimer that you want to work with me. These are the rules. I'm, you're not going to get recommendations for whey protein and, and so on. Um, but I'm not going to push these onto you. Do you still want me? Do you still want my message? Do you still want what I have to teach you? Um, that's incredible. So, so thank you so much for sharing that because a lot of us um, undergo those challenges where we want our dearest friends and we want it so badly that we actually go into their face and, and we push them to a stage of defensiveness. Well, let's talk about your love affair with the mountains, you know, before we run out of time, because I could, you know, it seems I could talk to you for hours. And I heard a bell and it's not on my side, but uh, I don't know. Did you hear the bell? As I well? did hear the bell. It's not even on my side. So okay, I think we that, are good. That is pretty interesting. And anyway, maybe, maybe that's like a, a sign. We need to talk about your love affair with... Uh, the mountains, especially one specific mountain, tell us everything, you know, how did it start? And and were you climbing mountains before you went vegan? And then it just carried on that passion into your veganism or please tell us the inside story. No, was never a mountain climber, uh, but I have to go back to probably school days. And I remember this question in the quiz would always come up that, who climbed Everest first? And I would be so proud, Sherpa Tenzing and Sir Edmund Hillary, because at that time, I didn't know that Nepal is a different country. I always thought that Nepal and India are the same country. And so I always, like, you know, was like this proud guy, hey, you know, the first human in the world to climb Everest is from India. To only find out years later that, no, he was a Nepali uh, citizen. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Sherpa Tenzing always inspired me, always inspired me from the sense that nothing is impossible and that everything is possible by him being literally the first human to stand on top of the top of the world. And, um, but I would not say I became a mountaineer after, you know, like reading Sherpa Denzing's story or learning more about him. Probably it was not until 1997 when in 12th grade, I saw a documentary uh, from PBS actually called Noah Everest. And I was really fascinated by the mountain and the structure and how it's climbed and, and some of the areas like Kumbu Icefall or the Lhotse face and these amazing, you know, areas on the mountain. I was very fascinated by it. But then life took over. I became an engineer and got a job in the U.S. And just life, you know, started flowing. I came back to India to, to, care, to take care of my father, who was unfortunately diagnosed with Lewy body dementia in 2001. So... He had lost all his independence and my mother was taking care of him alone. And I always wanted to come back to India and live in India. So I came back, started taking care of my father and then I got married and like life just kept happening and happening. And then, I don't know, we went on a vacation, my wife and I, and uh, this was a very chance vacation to the mountains. Yeah. On the last day, I did this small hike and this was in a place called Shimla. And I reached the top of a mountain after about four hours worth of hiking. By the way, for the viewers, I was back then 110 kilos. I was obese. I was like 35 kilos overweight. 
yet in the kuntal 1.0 you see is still 90 kilos so i was like literally still 20 kilos heavier than the kuntal 1.0 in this picture right. uh, and um, i it was just out of chance we wanted to see snow we landed on top of that mountain we found a lot of snow i remember playing snow angels and throwing snowballs at each other but i think this how you know veganism happened to me i think it was that moment of my life when it took a u turn again and it was so quiet on the top that i could literally hear every single heartbeat like dup dup i was like so scared for a moment i looked at my wife and i'm like can you hear my heartbeat and she's like what the heck are you talking about i'm like this is insane experience like it was so quiet so peaceful for the first time in my life i felt that deep happiness that deep joy deep connection to the nature and for the first time i was also able to detach myself from this race of always planning for the future always pondering over mistakes in the past what can i do better how can i be better all of this stuff while the present is just going in front of you all the time passing away you're not even able to exist in that present i was able to exist in that microsecond of the moment and i fell in love with the mountains i think that was my trigger point yes year and half later i found myself at the everest base camp i saw a sunset happening on everest and that sunset blew me away i still remember that sunset like everest is this massive range but that day everest was in center focus every other mountain in the color of gray and blue everest in the middle burning golden in color as if someone had lit all the snow on fire and then i saw everest that way i fell in love with a mountain i mean my wife still reus the fact that i fell in love with a mountain and like she became the second love of my life and like mountain became the first love of my life and uh, and i just promised myself that i'm going to come back and get on top of the world one day of course mountain willing uh, and i think the, again the 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 concept here was what i you know kind of saw in sherpa tenzing and this has to be in my context right am i saying climbing everest is impossible no thousands of people have already done it but was it impossible in my context yes it was impossible in my context 110 kilos obese unhealthy software engineer with zero genetic predisposition towards climbing any mountains in his life or doing any of these things in his life i think at that point it felt like impossible and to me it was going on a journey to make the impossible possible and that's where i kind of you know started on this journey of everest and I do remember this one line that my expedition leader from that October of 2010 trek to Everest base camp. Um, his name is Tim Rippel, and I remember sitting in the dining tent and asking Tim, "Hey Tim, I want to climb Everest, and what's the secret? What's the secret? how can I get ready?" And Tim was like, "Kuntal, to climb to the top of the world, you need a top of the world mind, and you need a top of the world body." when i came home i knew that i had neither top of the world body i had neither top of the mind actually far 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 away from that and so to a certain in in a certain way 
the journey was also about creating a top of the world body and mind yeah that is what everest represented to me everest is such a symbolic thing it's not just a mountain to me it was it is this journey of becoming a better version of myself like you know you showed the photo of kuntal 1.0 to kuntal 2.0 i think that kuntal 2.0 was created when i went on this journey of climbing everest and 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 everything that happened during this entire journey but i i have to tell you you know one thing uh, i have to tell you like one of the big learnings that i have from this entire journey actually let me backtrack let me you know bring the vegan angle also into this uh, two things into it i know that we have like less time but i'm still going to try and discuss these two angles um so angle one is yes in the hindsight i can tell you a lot of stories in the hindsight i can tell you a lot of takeaways in the hindsight i can share oh great don't give up oh there's going to be a lot of adversity oh you know you have to adapt and you know all these you know marketing jargons or you know this business jargons i can you know like say all these things great all of these are amazing the single most reason why i climbed everest is it was a calling it was a deep calling that i could not have said no to imagine if you you wake up and the very first thing in front of your eyes is everest you sit down and you start your computer screen but you can see everest in that you sit down and you eat the fruit food but in your food you can see everest entire day all that occupies your life is everest even when you sleep you dream of climbing that mountain and this does not go away it continues for days weeks months now continuing for decades this is how much of a calling it was a deep calling it was i had to follow the calling and so i can say in the hindsight a lot of things this is why i climbed everest it made me a better human it made me a better version of myself all of that great but that is all happened in hindsight the reason why i went on the journey is because there was a calling i had to go on the journey i had to follow this calling and the second thing is that when i announced to the world that i'm going to climb everest and i'm going to do it as a vegan there was a lot of pushback in the beginning because everyone got back to me saying that kuntal you need to eat meat kuntal you need to eat dairy kuntal you need to eat eggs yeah. a in your training as well as on the mountain in the training so that you can build that body and you can build that fitness that can help you climb the mountains and potentially on the mountains so that you can recover faster so that it can keep you warmer and it can give you energy all sorts of you know reasons being given to me started reading a lot of mountaineering literature i could not find anything around veganism and everest or veganism and high altitude mountaineering i even i don't think it has ever happened to in my life that i have gone and typed anything on google and gotten zero results but i typed mm-hmm. vegan everest and i didn't get any results this was back in 2010 right so it was that like it was that out of the you know place where i, I was like trying to do something that had never been done before and that i was in no shape to do it which is why there was potentially a lot of pushback that hey, you are not going to be able to do it a you are not in shape and then you have a diet which is probably you know going to be nutritionally lacking or yeah. at least that was the myth that was you know that that was very prevalent and quite prevalent even today in a lot of circles to be uh, very frank and to me i was very certain i am going to climb this mountain as a vegan or not do it at all and to me when someone says eat meat i think of it as eat protein or drink milk eat calcium or 
eat eggs eat some you know better micronutrition and having researched the plant based world and also having a couple of really good nutrition coaches and uh, cookbook authors back then uh, one of them being happy herbie war uh, who's you know lindsay nixon who's a very good friend uh, she being around and she kind of you know helping me out during the initial portions of the journey where she said look this is all nonsense you want to fuel here's how you can fuel and you will be just be fine just try it out and i tested it out on a smaller mountain i tested it out on a himalayan mountain and believe me and i have said this many times if i have to build a list of 1000 things or let's say 100 things that were challenges to me that i faced on everest or faced during the last decade of my mountaineering journey i think vegan diet was like literally non existent on the, any of the challenges list that i can come up with especially vegan diet because if you go and see the diet itself a vegan diet or a diet that can be followed on the mountain it is anyways very very heavily dependent on carbohydrates so let's say if you look at you know what some of the best climbers in the world eat and who are the best climbers they are the sherpa guides yeah so sherpa guides eat a lot of potatoes they eat a lot of lentils they eat a lot of rice and meat is almost always on the side so if 80 to 90% of their calorie intake is coming from just plants and it is merely about like 10% of their calorie intake coming from animals it was very clear to me that it is very very possible to even eliminate the 10% if just someone is willing to try it out yeah and i was willing to try it out because i wanted to do it in that style and i tried it out and i realized hey, this is a no brainer why is people why are advise everyone not doing this so but the conditioning and the myths are so ingrained have been so ingrained since so many decades or potentially even centuries that it's going to take a while it's going to take a lot of hard work on all of us together across the world to kind of dispel these myths and debunk this conditioning but it is very doable and it's already happening the movement has gone mainstream it's exponentially growing across the world but getting back to my mountaineering journey these were the two aspects a it was a calling and b i had to do it without eating or wearing an animal right now i did summit everest in 2016 mm-hmm. on may 19th at 9:30 in the morning i was standing on the top of the world and i was very strong i i'm not you know going to be i'm not i'm not here to like you know boast about myself but i did it in style a super strong on on the top of the mountain and enjoying my time but i do remember that when i came back home i think that was the time when people started inviting me to a lot of talks and i remember when they would invite me on the stage the invitation would always be first vegan in the world welcome him and i would go on the stage and it would be like no i'm not the first vegan in the world it was always in my mind always in my mind and the reason being when i stood on top of everest i was wearing a one piece jacket on my body which was made from feathers of a slaughtered geese and um, i could not have claimed to be a vegan if i was wearing a dead animal on my body that's not what a vegan would do but i did that uh not that i didn't try to find a replacement for that jacket or an animal free jacket it just didn't exist no one had built it no one was selling it no one was willing to build it no one was there was just simply non existent mm-hmm. i tried very hard for 4 years 
I even remember asking the folks at PETA, whose headquarters are right opposite North Face headquarters. I literally had them go over to the next building, do a presentation on my behalf. They came back saying North Face rejected your like you know your proposal. And like, really? Okay, whatever. So wow. I went and I climbed Everest. Hmm. But I can stand here and tell you that that was the biggest failure of my life. Unfortunately, in 2000 and Uh, 16. I should not have climbed that mountain. I should have tried harder, and I tried harder after I came back, because my conscience, you know, didn't let me sleep. I lost my sleep literally, and all the time I was thinking, how can I just like get this out that I'm not the first vegan in the world? And you know, sometimes you're getting all this exposure, and you want to use all this exposure to talk about animals and talk about veganism, but then you also know that. all of that is i don't deserve it because i was not even the first vegan to climb everest because no one has ever done it so, so break the suspense tell us what happened <laughs> the second time <laughs> so i, I worked with a company called save the duck and save the duck is an italian uh, gear company they make oh. active wear for cold weather and they kind of you know i wrote to them out of chance they responded to my facebook message i got on a call with the chief marketing officer and she said we'll build a jacket for you wow and after 8 months of research and development with the chief designer and a lot of back and forth in april of 2018 i had the first synthetic jacket of the world with me the only problem being who's going to test it because it had never been tested in even minus 5 degrees uh, temperatures before so i knew that i was going to test it and um, i climbed a mountain called lotsi in uh, in 2018 it's a 28000 feet mountain the fourth tallest mountain in the world mm-hmm. climbed it i was cozy i was warm and totally safe on top of that mountain mm-hmm. and that's when i realized now climbing everest is only a matter of when it's going to happen not how it's going to happen because how has already been figured out yeah. and next year save the duck sponsored my climb and they are an amazing company super ethical super animal friendly they respect animals care for animals and they sponsored my climb to the top of everest and on may 23rd i finally stood on top of everest i have been a vegan for 19 years from a dietary perspective unless someone has fed me any non vegan food after lying to me that it was uh, vegan food outside of that i have never cheated once because i don't think it's something that i would you know i don't agree with the concept of cheating at all with anything in life mm-hmm. so have always been a vegan but for in 20 on 23rd may i was also a vegan from a gear perspective i was 100% vegan on the top and the way i had envisioned myself standing on top of everest and talking about veganism i think the biggest thing was in my mind i was like so relieved that no animal had to suffer or die for my dream to come true for me to stand on top of everest Those i think that in- was like the biggest takeaway for me on yeah. may 23rd these are incredible words no animal or bird had to die or suffer or be tormented or tortured for you to achieve what was your dream you know and then that is also an amazing message um we have just under a minute and uh kuntal i i i i would love for you to share your message to the world you know i'm going to pull up this this graphic i know you know we made um 
uh, together around the mind, the heart, the gut being in complete unison, um, and and the physical, the spiritual, the transformational power of mountains, and in your case, which is really the the transformational power of nature. What is your message to people out there, vegans or non-vegans? You know, parents or not parents yet children, you know, young people who might be watching uh, this show or might watch it later. What is your message? Um, look, I'm going to share a takeaway. Um, when I stood on top of Everest in May of 2016, it's not like I suddenly became a Zen monk or I got enlightened and, you know, I you know, learned all these things. No, actually, when I was on top of Everest, I was super miserable. I was exhausted. I was cold. I was like knackered. Uh, not a single change happened in me. But I do think it is during this journey of climbing Mount Everest. It is during this, call it a spiritual journey, call it a physical journey, call it a mind journey, call it any kind of journey, a journey of life, probably. It is during this journey is where I transformed myself from that unhealthy 110 kilo obese software engineer to this guy who not climbed Everest once but twice and created that top of the world body and mind and it is during this journey that all of that happened so I want to kind of take a step back and a share one of the big takeaways is that a enjoy the journey enjoy life uh, have fun celebrate you know these smaller milestones yes you who doesn't like to get on the top if i would have not gotten on the top no one would be inviting me did 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 that why i climbed the mountains heck no this was my personal journey my personal calling that's why i did it but all the transformation happened during the journey it is during that journey where i became kuntal 2.0 or now the next journey is where i will become kuntal 3.0 but i think I think the biggest takeaway or the biggest Everest of my life is to wake up every day and end that day being a better version of myself than how I started. But above all, become a better human being at the end of the day. I think that is like literally the biggest Everest of my life. Yes, I have many Everests, but I think the overarching Everest of my life is to be a better human being. And that's what I would kind of implore everyone who's, you know, tuning in that find your Everest, whatever that Everest is and go on this journey. Yeah. I found relentless focus, relentless drive, relentless passion to go get on the top and to transform myself. And I'm pretty sure that you will also get, you know, a similar experience. Yeah. Kuntal, thank you so much for talking to us today and, and for all the amazing messages that you've shared. The insights have been so much. I feel enriched every single time we have a conversation or I hear you speak. Um, and the big message to us all is find your why, find your Everest and uh, do everything possible and ensure that while you're finding your Everest, that no human and no sentient being is ever tortured in the process. Um, Kuntal Joysher, thank you so much for spending your time with us and for this wisdom. And we'll be back uh, next week, uh, next month with, uh, you know, yet another episode of Connecting the Dots. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode uh, and, and listening to what Kuntal had to share about his journey. Mm -hmm.